The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the hosts and creators of this program. This is the Pet Buzz. This is the Pet Buzz. Freshly collected with news, celebrity pet gossip, and the latest pet trends. The Pet Buzz gives you the latest 411 on everything pet related. Everything pet related. Hosted by pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. And here's the Dynamic, Dynamic pet, pet Duo. You're listening to the Pet Buzz, the ultimate in pet talk radio. If you haven't listened to the best in pet talk radio before, we want you to know we do something a little different here at this show. As you listen to our show, we encourage you to follow along on our social media channels because relevant content will drop down on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I'll give you an example. Our dog Ty is in studio and he is just sleeping away. Sometimes you might even hear him snoring. Mm -hmm. So let's... Now, start the countdown for the weekly show. We're talking about hearing impaired dogs. Also in that segment is our global news block, in which we are going to reveal what town has instituted a dog tax to help keep up canine maintenance. Curious? But that's later on in the show. We're talking about the Zoom room and how canine enrichment benefits you and your dog. And also, I'm going to talk about my I likey of the week. I'm going to give you a hint. It's something spicy that I made and your dog is going to enjoy. Mm. Is Flex Facts. Charlotte and I are going to be talking about post-hurricane activity for pets. We are going to give you some suggestions on how to help animals shelters, and pet rescues as needed. And we can't forget about our celebrity pet dish. Our next guest is on the phone, but before we bring her on, let me tell you this. Selective breeding by humans has resulted in a single species with more physical variation than almost any other in the animal kingdom. And now scientists have provided the first evidence that all of this selective tweaking hasn't just changed dogs' sizes, shapes, colors, and behaviors. It has also altered the way their brains are built. Well, joining us today is Harvard professor Aaron Hecht. Dr. Hecht is the lead author of this new and fascinating study. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Hecht. Hello. So what prompted you to do this canine brain study and how was it conducted? Uh, so I've always been interested in dogs and I was particularly interested in how different brains of different breeds might differ anatomically from each other. And uh, we had an opportunity to address this question uh, when we formed a a relationship with a veterinary neurologist at UGA. So this gives a chance to address this question that I'd always wonder about. Are the brains of different breeds of dog different? They are indeed. So we weren't able to compare specific breeds directly to each other in this study because since this was an opportunistic study, sometimes we only had one or two dogs of particular breeds. So rather than look at individual breeds, we grouped them together based on general types of behaviors that different breeds are supposedly specialized for. For example, sighthounds or herding dogs and guardian dogs. Okay, so did your study ultimately reveal that human brain manipulation had something to do with size and shape? But what about breed characteristics too? For example, Goldens or Labradors Retrieve or... Corgi's herd. Yeah, exactly. So that's these are the exact things that we were looking at in the study. So on the one hand, we do see differences in brain anatomy that are associated with what you might think of as the confirmation of the breed, the 
body size and the head shape. So those were two variables that we did find. But then we also, on top of that, found this additional contribution from selection for behavior, like retrieving or herding. If you've just joined us, we're talking with Harvard professor Dr. Aaron Hecht about a new canine brain study and what it can tell us about selective breeding and more. So it's interesting to note that dogs were better manipulated for certain tasks, as we talked about, but most breeds don't do what they were bred for. Does that impact the studies of your results? And then how is it useful to kind of map or kind of use this as a basis to move forward? Or did you find like some cognitive folks at some of these labs across the country think it could be almost a slippery slope to make these points? So I think it is absolutely important that most dogs aren't doing the jobs that the breeds were developed for originally. And in particular, in this study, as far as we know, all of the dogs were pets, not working dogs. So any differences that we saw in their brains are the result of the selection pressures or the selective breeding that happened in the generations prior to the dogs that we studied. So I think it's sort of amazing that we can still see the traces of this in their brain anatomy. And I think that if we looked at dogs that are actively working, we might see even more pronounced effects. And that's something that we're starting to look at now in our current research. And in your second question, you asked about a slippery slope. Um, I'm not quite sure what you mean by that. Could you elaborate a little more? Sure. I, I believe I was reading one of the, I guess he wasn't discrediting your study. He just said you have to be careful when you start talking about dog behavior and attributing it to certain breeds because obviously some dogs might have a higher instinct to do a task like hunt or guard or cuddle. I have English toy spaniels. So obviously, unlike your dogs, they're not going to be you know, hurting. So I didn't know if, you know, if that was a criticism that came up or someone just talking in generalities about the study. Yeah, well, I think this is a general well-known feature of brain research. Um, every finding often opens the door to more questions. So this is the first study, as far as I know, that has systematically compared the brain anatomy of different breeds. So this is sort of our first definitive finding, that there are brain differences. And of course, there are many more questions that we can delve into from here. So I think there are probably more fine-grained differences between specific types of behavior that are different across breeds. Like, for example, we kind of group together pointing and retrieving. But I would guess that there have to be brain differences that relate to those behavior differences. We just didn't have the data set to look at it in this particular study. Sure, and I'm sure eventually you'll look at who was successful and who's not. Super achievers and who are kind of like just barely can point and barely retrieve, right? Exactly. So in our current study, we're trying to look at both high-skill, like champion-type dogs from particular breeds and their blood relatives that for whatever reason are just not performing at the same level. So we're really, we need the partnership of dog owners and breeders and trainers to carry out this research. So if anybody has a dog of this type um, near Harvard or um, anywhere in Georgia, uh, we would love to hear from you because we need your help to continue this research. Great. And there was one other thing that I was kind of interested in, and I guess looking at the process, uh, it talked about how you map the brains in six different segments. I'm, obviously, I'm not a neurologist, folks. I'm just trying to absorb the information. Can you talk a little bit about that? So these were groups of brain regions where we found predictable co-variations in anatomy, meaning that if um, one region in the network tended to be bigger, then you could predict the size of the other regions in that network from the size of that first region. And what this likely means is that these regions are linked, that they're somehow doing something together. 
Um, so we found these six networks that seem to be related to the types of behaviors that might be important for dogs of different breeds. For example, there was one network that included um, breed regions involved in social behavior and social perception, and there were other networks involved in perception or vision. So those were those were the things that we were comparing across breeds. Now, how does that compare to, I mean, obviously humans don't necessarily perform those instinctive tasks, but how does that mapping compare with a human-like study? Uh, well, so I think one parallel between humans and dogs is that we're both specialized for learning complex skills. So, for example, border collies aren't born knowing how to herd, but they have some sort of innate predisposition that kind of makes it easy for them to learn to herd or easier than it would be for, say, a beetle to learn to herd. In the same way, humans are... Um, predisposed to learn language and other types of acquired skills. So our brains are adapted to these learning skills, but we aren't born knowing how, how to do them. So I think if we can figure out how dog brains um, have the predisposition for their specialized learning skills, maybe we can figure out how human brains the predisposition for our specialized learning skills. Great, great, great advice, great information. Well, where can we find the study? Uh, it's in the Journal of Neuroscience, and uh, it's also linked um, on my lab website, which is hectlab.org. Dr. Heck, thank you so much for joining us today. We'll definitely check out your website, which is hecklab.org. Up next, I'm talking about celebrity gossip, the epic battle that we saw with Serena Williams and Bianca Andrescu on the courts was also off the court, too. If you don't know, there was a battle of cuteness of their dogs. I'll explain after the commercial break. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We love to communicate with you via social media. Use The Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and our buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. Hey, my name is Rory Diamond. I am the CEO of Canines for Warriors. We are the nation's largest provider of service dogs for disabled American veterans. And we are asking everyone to support Puppies Assisting Wounded Service Persons Act, House Bill 3130. Absolutely critical to do this. It will require the VA to help organizations like Canines for Warriors serve our disabled veterans with incredible life-saving service dogs and to recover from post-traumatic stress. Please contact your member of Congress to support Puppies Assisting Wounded Service Persons Act, House Bill 3130. When your doctor recommended omega fatty acids as a daily supplement, he told you that they promoted better heart, brain, skin, joint, and immune system health. Well, doesn't it make sense for your pet to have the same health benefits? EpiPet Whole Fish Treat, an all-natural smoked fish supplement, is 100% bioavailable, bringing your pets the nutrients they need to keep them healthy and happy. We first heard about EpiPet at our local rescue shelter where our family adopted Lucy, a 10-year-old yellow lab. She was in tough shape, but we noticed within just a few days how soft and thick her coat was getting. She has more energy now, loves to chase her favorite tennis ball, and most importantly, how happy and healthy Lucy is now. We could not be happier. Thanks, EpiPet. To order better pet health for your dog or cat, just visit epi-pet.com. That's epi-pet.com. 
This show is hosted by the Dynamic Pet Duo. I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. And I'm petrondologist Charlotte Reed. And now it's time for the Celebrity Dish. You know, at the U.S. Open, there may have been a battle on the court between Serena Williams and Bianca Andrescu, of which Bianca won. But the two more or less had a battle off court, too. (laughs) It was the battle of the pooches, Serena's dog Chip versus Bianca's dog Coco. So cool. So did you see him in the stands? Christopher Chip, Rafael (laughs) Nadal. That's Chip, the Yorkshire Terrier, who obviously loves the spotlight and has been to many of Serena's matches. Following suit of other celebrity pets, Chip has his own Instagram account. While Serena was playing in an earlier round, not the finals, he was seated on the lap of perhaps Serena's assistant in the player box while Venus Williams, now I thought this was really kind of awkward and funny, tried to cool the panting pooch with USB-powered fan featuring two plastic fades that were quietly rotating. I actually had to look that up because I had never seen a USB fan attached to the top of a cell phone. <laughs> well, Chip was a bit surprised to get blown on. Now, on opposing side is Bianca's one-year-old toy poodle named Coco. The dog has been a fixture at this year's U.S. Open, often seen curled up in the lap of Andrescu's mother, Maria. Now, this one I thought was really a fashionable statement. Mom and dog both have messy, curly hair. (laughs) So definitely a family dog. Although the media singled out Coco at the U.S. Open, she has yet to have her own Instagram account and is usually seen on Bianca's. Check out their pics on our social media channels. And now let's move on with more of the show. Welcome to Just the Facts. Just the Facts. Fact or fiction? Just the Facts, ma'am. You want answers. I want the truth. It's going to take long. You got the time. Well, it's time for Flex Facts. But today we're going to provide y'all with some ways in which you can help many animal shelters and other pet rescue organizations in need, whether they are local to you or in another state. And here are a few of our post-hurricane tips. So, donate what you have on hand. Extra water, towels, and blankets go a long way to help. Paper towels, trash bags, kennels and crates that you may not be using any longer, bring them to your local animal shelter okay well call local animal shelters or a shelter that has been in hard hit in another part of the country you can do a very quick search on google or apple maps and they'll show you the locations ask them what they are specifically in need of pick up some of these items at a local store and have them delivered or you can hey get on amazon they they deliver everywhere You can also volunteer at a local shelter. This put extra hands on deck post-storm. This is oftentimes when shelters are really shorthanded mm-hmm. because a lot of people have left the air area they vacated and there's really not enough people to help. So offer them up a few hours or more of your free time um, to assist these shelters and the shelter workers because they're definitely in need. You know, people often forget that animals require around-the-clock care, especially those pets that are injured, ill, very young, or elderly, and especially since most shelters at this time usually have a lot of animals. And you know what? Here's an idea. You guys can always get some pet-loving friends together and take a road trip. Well, I always suggest if you're going to do that, it's best to leave your pets at home 
while you're volunteering, whether it's in another county or whether it's in another state. Absolutely. And raise money. Ask friends and family who are also animal advocates, pet owners, and looking to do some good. The amount of supplies, food, and resources necessary to care for the animals is much higher than one would assume. We know that from personal experience. Yes, we do. And for those shelters that are overcrowded, offer to become maybe a foster, if this is an allowable option, giving an animal a safe space to stay until they can be reunited with their owners is always a much more comfortable option. Yeah, and you can also help shorten the duration of an animal and an owner being separated from one another. You know, you can do this by visiting your local shelter and taking photos of of displaced pets that are there. You can post these photos to local social media sites online. Yeah, just remember that any way that you can help is always appreciated. Any service that you can perform is also appreciated. Any money, 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 money that you can donate is also appreciated. Well, I'm going to close with, and that's all the Flex Facts for this week. Very sober, but very important. Yeah. So what's next after we come back from the commercial break? We're going to talk about my I Like You for the week. Stay tuned. We'll be back in a buzz. My name is Mike Ruiz, and I was born and raised in Montreal, Canada, and now I live in New Jersey. The thing that made me fall in love with Oliver was the very first time I met him, he was being fostered by a friend of mine whom I was visiting. I opened the door to my friend's house, and Oliver came running up to me, sat at my feet, and looked up at me with the most beautiful, big, brown, soulful eyes. And within 24 hours, I had filled out all the paperwork, and Oliver was my son. I've experienced a lot of discrimination with Oliver. We would walk down the street, and people would literally cross the street. We know when they would see us coming, you know, they saw like a menacing pit bull type dog. It just found it so baffling because Oliver was the sweetest, gentlest creature that I've ever met in my entire life. Sadly, I lost Oliver in August of 2018. I wanted to commemorate him in a way that was very meaningful. So I got this tattoo of him. It's just such an amazing thing. Knowing that I carry him in my heart, I now carry him on my arm. My name is Mike Ruiz and Oliver and I are individuals. I'm petrinologist Charlotte Reed with a healthy pet, healthy you tip. There are many reasons that you might have to shelter at home with your pets, such as unsafe air quality, dangerous roads, and or high winds and flying debris, but you have to be prepared. So here are some suggestions. Make sure your pet's inside. If it's unsafe for you to be outside, it's unsafe for him too. Know the location of your pet's emergency go bag. It should have already been stocked with extra food, water, first aid kit, and other essentials your pet needs. Take your pet with you to a room that's safe. The room's location is based on whether you are sheltering from a hurricane, earthquake, tornado, flood, or blizzard. If there's a wildfire, it's best to take your pet and leave the premises immediately. Bring a battery-operated radio to ensure that you can get updates from emergency officials, even if the power goes out and your phone or internet connection or down. 
if time allows, move your pet's favorite bed or blanket to your safe room so that you can make him as comfortable as possible until the threat passes. Since pets can get restless if cooped up inside in one room, bring items to keep him engaged, such as toys, games, and learning activities. Make sure your pet has a place to relieve himself. Keeping puppy pee pads on hand can be useful for this purpose, as can potty training your dog to go indoors. Have a few disposable litter boxes for cats, too. Make sure to have cleaning supplies on hand in case of an accident. Keep your pet away from the windows. Debris may be flying around during a storm due to high winds. In fact, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention says that flying debris is the most common cause of injury during a hurricane. Be ready for you and your pet to leave at a moment's notice. Keep your dog's leash, crate, or carrier and any necessarily travel gear near the exit. For cats, have a carrier or pop-up shelter and other essentials. Once gone, you can refer to your emergency evacuation plan. You know, pets know when there's panic in the air, so try to remain as calm as possible. This is pet trendologist Charlotte Reed with a healthy pet, healthy you tip. Stay safe. Does your pet have dry, flaky, and itchy skin? Do you find yourself visiting the veterinarian repeatedly because Fido or Fluffy has skin allergies or ear infections? I love animals and want my pets to be healthy. So I asked our vet who recommended EpiPet Ear Cleaner. It's super simple and it even smells good. Every week I use it on both my dog and my cat to gently remove wax and debris. (laughs) I even told my friend Aiden to try EpiPet on his dog Sophie who always had red ears. But not anymore. Now we both have happy and healthy pets. Thanks, EpiPet. Developed by a veterinarian, EpiPet is a revolutionary, high-performance skin and ear care product line made with the finest natural ingredients. EpiPet, for you and your pet, means better pet health. For more information, visit epi-pet.com. Welcome back. You're listening to the Pet Buzz, the best in pet talk radio. I'm pet trendologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. And now what you've been waiting for, my I likey of the week. That's the way it has to be because that's the way I like it. It's genius. I like it. I love it so much. I like it. It's to die for. I like it. Been waiting, been waiting, been waiting. I know waiting. you have. Mm-hmm. It's my seasonal pumpkin spice latte recipe for dogs. Mm, yummy, yummy. Well, if you didn't know, the pumpkin spice latte really originally is a coffee drink made with a mix of traditional fall spices like and steamed milk, espresso sugar, topped with whipped cream and pumpkin pie spice. Well, since 2015, it's also contained a small amount of pumpkin puree. Mm -hmm. Now, the drink, which I believe was invented by Starbucks, is available in not only Starbucks, but a lot of cafes on a seasonal basis, usually sometime from September to January. And now, according to uh, Seattle-based coffee company, Starbucks, the pumpkin spice latte is Starbucks' most popular seasonal beverage. Hmm. And the beverage started a trend of pumpkin spice products, such as candles, air fresheners, and then as well as foods and other edibles like coffee... Other coffee flavors, donuts, breakfast cereals, cough drops, and even a drink for dogs. So your dog's going to enjoy my seasonal and pet safe version of this popular drink. 
Okay. As with any new pet food and drinks, you want to introduce in small portions to avoid stomach upset. So really the recipe is simple. A cup of goat's milk, because that's better for pet digestion. A quarter cup of pumpkin puree. Now don't buy the pumpkin spice mix. Buy pure pumpkin puree. A pinch of cinnamon and ginger, which are all mixed on a warm stovetop. And then after you pour it into your pet's bowl with really a teaspoon or a dollop of plain Greek yogurt, and that makes it look like whipped cream. And then you put a little pinch of uh, carob powder to finish it. Now, if you really want to get fancy like me, and since I'm, I do like to cook, you can aerate the mixture while it's in the, in the pan. So that way it gets all frothy. Mm. And then I put a picture up and I'm going to put the recipe uh, so you guys can see it. On uh, Facebook and Twitter. I have a question. Yes. Are you going to be presenting this at your television uh, tailgate segments? I actually am. The I ones think it's where are they going to be? Birmingham? Birmingham and then later on uh, in the fall in, in Vegas. So I think it's going to be exciting. Mm-hmm. It's another big idea. Well, speaking of big ideas, keeping a dog mentally and physically fit is always a good thing. Exercise and training, exercise and training contribute to a healthy happy and well-behaved dog joining us today on the pet buzz is mark van Wy, the ceo of los angeles-based zoom room one of the highest rated indoor and of course fastest growing training facility in america he's also the author of the best-selling dog training guide puppy training in seven easy steps so hey mark how you doing today thanks for joining us on the pet buzz Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. So tell me about the Zoom Room and what prompted you to set it up. Sure, I'd love to. The Zoom Room is an indoor dog training gym, and we have locations across the country. Our emphasis is socialization, and our motto is we don't train dogs, we train the people who love them. Well, isn't that true, everyone? You really do have to train the people to work with their dogs. Okay, so tell me about some of the classes that you teach and and the concept of socialization and why it's so important. Oh, absolutely. Well, everything you would expect, so puppy classes, puppy preschool, obedience classes. One of the things we're most known for is dog agility training. That's the obstacle course work Mm -hmm. at all different levels, including competitive But then we also have all sorts of enrichment classes because we believe the health of a dog is mental and social and not merely physical. So we have a lot of very stimulating and unusual workshops that we offer as well. Well, amen to that. So tell me about, tell me, let's talk about socialization because I think it's really important for people to realize that socialization starts from day one from bringing that dog home, correct? Amen. And it's important for two reasons. Physically, we know that all animals their brain is especially plastic during only a very brief developmental window. And of course, a dog, an old dog, any age dog can keep learning new things, but during that young stage is when early socialization has the biggest impact. And the other reason it's so important is who gets a dog to say, I want a dog who can you know, do a recall at 40 feet, or I want a dog who will win dog shows. Most people get a dog that they want to take with them and be part of their lives. They want to take it to restaurants. There's so many great dog-friendly pubs, businesses that allow you to bring your dog. And if you want a dog who can travel with you and not give you anxiety, you want a dog who's been extremely well socialized. 
Absolutely. I think you and I can have a little church revival about these dogs, right? <laughs> right, brother? Right, brother Mark? I think it's kind of fun. Well, anyway, you know, if you've just joined us, I'm talking with Mark Van Way about his Zoom room, which is much more than a training center. Now, you mentioned agility. I love agility. It's always fun to watch, especially uh, at Westminster every year in February. So why is agility good for dogs and their people? The first thing I want to stress is that at the Zoom room, any dog can do agility. Dogs of any age, from puppies to senior dogs, every single breed, small, large, three-legged dogs, deaf dogs, we train them all and they all succeed. We set them all up for success. The equipment can be adjusted. You don't need to have one of those high-voltage dogs that you see on television in those competitions. I know. Isn't it crazy? Because not everyone has a border terrier. Some people have, like, the little Pomeranian, right? Or, you know, the kind of really agile mixed breed. Absolutely. And so for us, it's all about deepening that bond of communication between the owner and the dog. Because in agility, at the end of the day, I'm going to tell you, the human, in what order to run these obstacles, and your dog doesn't speak English. So you're going to be running through the course at full tilt, and you're going to need nonverbal ways to communicate with your dog, which means really we're getting at the heart of obedience and the heart of dog ownership, the two of you able to read each other's cues, read each other's minds, and be so deeply connected. And that's something that all of our clients get to develop and experience at the Zoom room. You know what I really like about agility and, and like trick training and, and really physical courses? It's always surprising, I think, to dog owners to see what their dog can actually do. I mean, I had an interview earlier today and we were talking about a lot of dogs aren't necessarily bred for what they're supposed to do, quote unquote, whether it's herding or guarding or et cetera. But when you take a class and you really see that the tiniest of poodles and the largest of Liamburgers is, or, you know, the most awkwardest of uh, mixed breed dogs, I don't necessarily like to say mutt. When you as an owner can see what you're, you're so proud of your dog. It's great. And you realize how important it is for them to get out there and work it all out. Correct? Absolutely. And the wonderful thing is it doesn't take a long time. We use only positive reinforcement training methods at the Zoom room. And so because of that, even in a one-hour class, from the beginning of class to the end, every owner sees incredible changes, something that they, the dog was maybe faltering with by the beginning of class. By the end, they have so much success and triumph and great memories and pictures to take home. You know, I live in Florida and you're in L.A., but one of the things that comes up around this time is the weather starts to change. And since the show is syndicated, we have people from all over the country and even internationally who listen to the show. And, you know, American dogs are fat like their owners, a lot of them, not necessarily where you are, or where I am. But you know what? I was really intrigued that you guys have like a weight loss program for overweight dogs. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, unfortunately, I do agree with you that it is such an epidemic in this country. And when it comes to the weather, this is one of the reasons why Zoom Room is an indoor dog training, a climate-controlled So in our places like Seattle when it's raining and muddy or in Texas when it's incredibly hot, um, people can come inside and do this training, and they can work on weight loss in a systematic program doing things like agility training, doing things like Pavlades, which is the core conditioning class that we do for dogs who are overweight or sometimes recovering from illnesses or, or from surgery. That's all part of real life training. Well, Mark, thank you so much for joining me today. 
It has been such a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Well, everyone, that was Mark Van Wy. To learn more about him and his awesome-sounding Zoom Room, check it out on zoomroom.com. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. We've got more buzz for you. Check it out. Listening to the Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We love to communicate with you via social media. Use the Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and our buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. When your doctor recommended omega fatty acids as a daily supplement, he told you that they promoted better heart, brain, skin, joint, and immune system health. Well, doesn't it make sense for your pet to have the same health benefits? EpiPet Whole Fish Treat, an all-natural smoked fish supplement, is 100% bioavailable, bringing your pets the nutrients they need to keep them healthy and happy. To order better pet health for your dog or cat, visit www.epi-pet.com. I'm petrondologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We are urban, suburban, and and country. Well, we're going to kick off this segment with our global news block. And now, pet buzz news from around the globe. Taxes for dogs. Taxes for dogs. I'll explain. A northern Spanish city that has more registered dogs than children is now <laughs> slapping a tax on dog owners to help pay for excrement cleanup. Interesting. Uh, very interesting. The city of Zamora, which is now 160 miles northwest of Madrid, will now charge registered dog owners a yearly nine euro tax. That's about $10 a year that will be used to create more dog walking areas pay for cleanup and distribute bags for canine waste. Diego Bernardo, Zamora's tax counselor, remarked that the levy is modest, which I think it is too. Dog owners should contribute to a certain extent to the city's expenses. City Hall expects to raise about 55, about 55,000 to about about a little less than a hundred thousand annual from the tax. That's a lot of money that could create dog parks and pay for bags and a whole team of people to clean up the whole city. Well, as you can expect, the taxes cause strong citizen reaction. Some don't agree at all and some just accept it, but not all reactions have been negative. Well, a few cities around the world have similar taxes with one of the highest coming from the Hague in the Netherlands. Their tax is about 120 euros, which is about 130 for one dog, and then the amount increases with an extra pup per household. Well, additionally, in Madrid, a former mayor attempted to push for compulsory dog DNA tests to help identify and then find dog owners who did not pick up after their pet. The plan was dropped, of course, when a new mayor got elected. Maybe that was the reason he didn't get elected to begin with. So what do you think, Dr. Fleck? Um, I think that New York 
Chicago and Las Vegas are probably already looking at this to add on to their tax schedule. It's funny that you say big cities, but I think you're I think you're right. I don't think it's such a bad idea. I would pay ten dollars additionally. Yes. That's if I use the dog parks. And ten dollars additionally for what other purpose? And ten dollars additionally for Okay, I see whatever. your I see your point, but I'm saying if you're a person who's using like for example the dog parks in the city, maybe you get a special license for the dog parks and that that covers the cost of it. Or maybe they should just include it in the licensing fee for the pet. Okay, well we want to know what you think. You know, hey, post, tweet, tell us what you think on our social media channels. We want to hear from you. I'm also going to put the articles up so you guys can see what I'm talking about. And then I definitely want to hear comments from you. Okay, so let's move on. I'm just getting a signal that our next guest is on the phone. Well, next up, we're talking about, get this, less adoptable pets. That kind of sounds weird. So there is even a less adoptable pet week, and our guest is going to tell us more about that, too. And joining us today to talk about deaf dogs is Terry Hayward. Terry has been a professional dog trainer since 2002. She is also the author of A Deaf Dog Joins the Family. Terry passionately pursues her already long list of educational achievements and highly respected credentials with continuing education so that your dog's progress is based on the most up-to-date training and behavioral techniques. Terry, thank you so much for joining us today on the Pet Buzz. Thanks for having me. Good morning. So other than being hearing impaired, how are deaf dogs different than dogs who can hear? In general, I like to say that the only difference is that a dog who cannot hear is that a deaf dog can't, quote, and I'm going to put it in quotes, hear you when they're not watching. So basically working with a deaf dog just requires us to sort of make a perspective shift, and that's on the part of the people. Dogs who are either born or who are adapting to deafness do just fine, as generally dogs uh, rely more on visual versus verbal interactions anyhow. Well, I have an interesting question. How do you tell if a dog is deaf? That's a good question, and it's one that comes up often. So the official route is to have what's called a BEAR test, uh, which stands for Brainstem Auditory Evoked Response, and that's a test that a veterinarian does. However, there are lots of DIY, do-it-yourself type options for sort of ascertaining whether a dog can hear. And one of those would be to, when your dog is not paying attention to you, make a loud sound behind them, uh, kind of like a loud clapping. Uh, You would want to be careful not to startle them. You also want to be careful that your uh, movements, a.k.a. if you're on a surface that might vibrate like a wooden floor, isn't giving you away. My next question, Terry, is why is it important to train these dogs as soon as you realize that they're hearing impaired? For me, training equals information and communication. So in order to help set up dogs in general uh, for success, we want to start right away by establishing a clear, consistent communication method. And that's That's immediately. Well, what's the best way to train these deaf dogs then? So the best way to train any animal is by using the science of applied behavioral analysis and and using a positive reinforcement approach. And basically this means that we want to teach and reinforce behaviors that we want to see more of. And so with a deaf dog, this means using visual or tactile markers and cues versus auditory ones. 
So let's talk about startling because from what I understand, you really have to be careful because these dogs can't hear a person approaching or, for example, another or even another animal approaching. So what do we have to know about startling a deaf dog? So as with any generalization, it's always important to remember that it's a study of one, that what might be true for one dog is not necessarily the case for another. Um, but having said this, I do encourage deaf dog families to create a positive condition emotional response, which is known as a CER, with your seemingly sudden appearance. So, for example, that might be that tuna predicts you're suddenly there, a.k.a. good stuff. Okay, I get that. Okay, well, since September is Less Adoptable Dog Month, what kind of person should consider adopting a dog that's hearing impaired? And how can they find a trainer who can help them? Obviously, they can't get you because you're in Puerto Rico, <laughs> unless they have big bucks and they can fly you in. Well, actually, they can't. Um, I work online about 90% of the time. I work via Pet Trainer HQ, which is a great resource for locating qualified, credentialed, certified professional trainers and behavior consultants, because really training is an investment in the human skills for improving timing, mechanics, and communication, knowledge, and understanding. I'm not there to teach the dog. I'm there to teach the people. So like I said, I regularly work remotely with folks around the globe. And um, to speak to your other part of the question, there are so many good reasons to adopt a deaf dog. Uh, in fact, any dog that I would have join my family in the future will likely be deaf. You don't have issues with things like thunderstorms or vacuum cleaners or fireworks. So I just think that deaf dogs are really the best. I think that's great. I mean, think about it. No thunderstorms. We have two. We have seven dogs, Terry. Ugh. We have five little ones. The e they're, believe it or not, they're the easier ones to Ugh. take care of. The big ones, they're afraid of the vacuum cleaner. They're afraid of thunderstorms. Just little drops of rain. I mean, yeah. I mean, and we live in Tampa, in the Tampa Bay area. So it's thundering in the summer like every single night. I mean, sometimes I thank goodness we live in a veterinary clinic because we have a built-in dog kennel where they can go and they can chill out. Yeah, but the thunder still vibrates. So they, you yeah. know, even if they were deaf, it wouldn't make any difference probably. Terry, this was so interesting. Yeah. Thank you for joining us to discuss training deaf dogs. And actually, to learn more about Terry Hayward, visit PositiveAnimalWellness.com. Terry, I think, is such a great wealth of knowledge, Dr. Fleck. I'm going to have her back. Please. Because she also specializes in... Now, Terry, what was that training and grooming? What would Tell me about that. What is that again? Yes, I, I work a lot with grooming and husbandry behaviors to help dogs to feel more comfortable either at the groomers or at the vet. So we're definitely going to have her back. I want back. you there for that one. We definitely want to have mm -hmm. her back. Thanks again. Thanks so much. A deaf dog could be a great addition to any family, mm -hmm. just not ours right now. Mm -hmm. Hey, did you hear that? That was the bell signifying it's time to wrap up the show. But before we go, we want to give you a preview for next week's show. So next week, we're talking about less adoptable dogs and feline health issues. We also want to give special thanks to Dr. Aaron Hecht, Mark Van Way, and of course, Terry Hayward. And of course, we must always thank our sponsors, the Animal Medical Center of Bradenton and EpiPet, making better skin, coat, and ear care products 
for healthier pets everywhere. Now, if you have a question, write us at team at thepetbuzz.com and we'll be sure to cover it on next week's show. And of course, if you missed any portion of this show, visit our social media channels as well as your favorite streaming channels and listen to the linked podcast on Monday morning. But remember, most importantly, we're here each week to help you take better care of your pets. Peace out and pet love. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Pet Buzz. The Pet Buzz is hosted by the dynamic pet duo, pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. Tune in each week for the latest 411 on everything pet related. Visit our website at www.thepetbuzz.com. Learn more about us, the show, and our guests. I want to be a contender. I want a warm belly to sleep on. A big house. How do I look? Do do I look good? I want to play hard. My nails done. Once a month. I want. I want. I want a home. I just want a home. I want someone to love. Last year, more than 30,000 companion animals came to us without homes. 20,000 of them were felines. Let's make some homes. A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. Hey, my name is Rory Diamond. I am the CEO of Canines for Warriors. We are the nation's largest provider of service dogs for disabled American veterans. And we are asking everyone to support Puppies Assisting Wounded Service Persons Act, House Bill 3130. Absolutely critical to do this. It will require the VA to help organizations like Canines for Warriors serve our disabled veterans with incredible life-saving service dogs and to recover from post-traumatic stress. Please contact your member of Congress to support Puppies Assisting Wounded Service Persons Act, House Bill 3130.